Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn and has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You're listening to a Big Heads Media Podcast. Tonight, Cars of Death, as we talk about Old Orchard Beach, Maine, and Foss, Oklahoma. All that and more on Small Town Secrets. Welcome to this, the third episode of Season 3. And uh, I think it's going to be a, a fun couple of discussions, like I said at the beginning of the show, about cars. A uh, haunted car, a couple of not haunted cars, but still have an interesting story to tell. Uh, not a whole lot, I don't think really a whole lot to talk about in the intro today. I'm going to throw out there, just because... Uh, I noticed that it's up and running, and I always kind of dug Vine, that I did join Byte, which is essentially Vine 2.0, so if you are also on Byte and want to follow the show, 
you can find it at STScast, the same username for Twitter and Facebook and all that. But I'll throw that out there at the beginning of the show. Probably won't plug that one as much, but uh, it's on there. And every once in a while, I'll make a stupid video and throw it up. So there you go. There's that. But, yep, just really going to get into uh, these couple of stories tonight and uh, see where we go from there. Got got some good Reddit stories from, uh, from well, Reddit for uh, your small town secret segment coming up later and all that good junk. So we're going to take a listen here from uh, Cooking with Grief, another Big Heads Media podcast. And uh, after their promo, I will uh, be back. So stay tuned. Hi, I'm Chris. And I'm also Chris. And together we do a comedy podcast called Cooking with Grief. Each week we dive into four surprising facts about anything from science to history to the weird world we live in, making jokes about all of it as we go along. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And you can also find us on Twitter at Cooking with Grief. No G on cooking. Glitter, apparently, is so unique that it can be effectively used as forensic evidence. The Bank of England's chief economist has urged to start using people's Spotify playlist as a way of measuring the economy. In China, Avengers has been translated as Fulian, or Women's Federation. Not only did the Russians capture the uh, Crimean Peninsula, they also captured some Ukrainian military dolphins. In Pinocchio, the film becomes a real boy. In the original, it ends with a cat and a fox hanging him from a tree. (laughs) Scientists have wiped a snail's memory. (laughs) And Slytherin's going, can we have an extensive (laughs) series of tunnels sort of wide enough to fit a giant people-killing snake? Where do you fall on the the scone-scone debate? Scone, obviously. Oh, I love scone. So, what have you got to lose? Give us a try. Nothing to lose but your sweet, precious time. Yeah, that's true. All right. And I think, really, I'm just going to jump right into Old Orchard Beach here in the tale of the Golden Eagle. Uh, But before I do, I want to kind of talk about it a little bit. I'm pretty sure, like most people that have probably heard this story, um, kind of realize or kind of know that it is most likely uh, a modern urban legend, an internet legend, if you will, just because so many of the facts don't really uh, work out. <laughs> and I'll, 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 we'll get into that. But it's still a great story, and uh, secrets don't you know, necessarily have to be true. Like, I, like I've said in the past, the show is also about kind of the modern folklore of some small towns as well, and this really is that so this is the tale of the golden eagle which is a an old dodge and uh yeah it's known it's been it's most known for being responsible for the deaths of at least 14 people Uh, i've read on some things that it is the inspiration for uh stephen king's christine i don't know about see i don't even know how true that is like I I love Christine. It's my favorite Stephen King novel. It's my favorite Stephen King movie. My favorite classic car, of course, is a 1958 Plymouth Fury. So I feel like I don't know. I would uh, that would have come up like that. That was never a thing until this story came around. So I don't know how. Maybe maybe I should like shoot him a tweet and see if he replies and ask him. But you know, 
let's just talk about talk about the uh, Golden Eagle and uh, its its reputation, its terrible reputation on the town of Old Orchard Beach in Maine. Old Orchard Beach is a small coastal Maine town. It was incorporated in 1883, but records of it go as far back as 1653 when it was settled by Thomas Rogers. The name Old Orchard Beach comes from Rogers' abandoned apple orchard. The family fled the property after attacks by Native Americans. Like most towns in the country, it's a place filled with cars. There is one automobile in town that has a bad reputation, a cursed reputation. This is a story about an unassuming and quite frankly ugly car, a 1964 Dodge 330 LE in gold. Apparently it's gold. If you look at pictures of it, it's a brown car. It's brown. It's not gold. It's brown. A car that would go on to be responsible for the deaths of at least 14 people. The 330 was only made for a couple of years, from 1962 to 1964. It was essentially a version of the Dodge Dart with a different trim package. The car came in a varying number of engine choices, from a 225 Slant 6 to a 426 four-barrel V8, which actually would be uh, pretty zippy. Like, I remember way back in the day, like when I just got my license, me and my dad went to an auction to check out a Dodge Dart, like a 64 or 65 Dodge Dart Swinger, which had a 318 V8 in it. And uh, my friend's mom had, my friend's parents had like a, a Plymouth Valiant, which is the same thing as a Dodge Dart. And that was like, that car weighed nothing. So I'm sitting, so like having a 318 V8 in that car, that there was no business having a, that big of a V8 in that little car. Uh, we didn't buy it though, because... Uh, it had a huge dent in the front fender from a, uh, a corn head from a combine. So uh, I ended up getting a 1987 Chrysler Fifth Avenue instead that my dad won in a raffle. But, you know, hey, a side story. The 330 in question was originally purchased as a police car for the Old Orchard Beach Police Department. As the legend goes, three of the officers assigned to the car would later go on to kill their family in three separate murder-suicides. After this horrible yet probably untrue incident, uh, once again, it goes back to the Hayward Plunge episode, right? Like, if that had happened, we'd have so much information about it. There'd been, you know, there'd be documentaries, there would have been other podcasts, that would have, it would have been a true crime bonanza if that had happened to a small main police department and there's no there's no information on it there's no reports there's no names there's nothing so you know take that as you will uh, after this incident the car was sold off to an older gentleman who then sold it to the Allen family most notably Wendy Allen Wendy and his family made the car a daily driver and over the years they would experience the doors opening by themselves and other minor inconvenient activity but the car never seemed to really bother anyone in the family too much. It seemed to be people outside of the family who would really endure the car's wrath. Twice, once in the 60s and again in the 80s, a child was hit by another car and landed on the hood of the Golden Eagle and later died. 
Then, in 2007, a kid who did nothing but touch the doomed automobile would end up murdering his entire family and then burning down the house. Uh, that's another kind of wild claim. That wasn't even that long ago. Like, it's still, no, can't find any facts on that one either. As the car's reputation went on, it apparently caught the wind of some local church groups. According to the story, these people snuck onto the property and dismantled the car. They then sent the parts to various junkyards. Not to be defeated, Wendy Allen was able to find most of the lost parts and reassembled the cursed car, for the most part. It was her daily driver after all. And this is also kind of another wild claim, but if this did happen, I don't know if, like, because dismantled is kind of a, a wide berth, a wide term in this. Like, you know, when you read that, you go, oh, they tore, they, they parted the car, put it on blocks. But really, they could have taken, you know, like a dozen or so kind of important pieces to make the car undrivable and not street illegal. So I could see that if this did happen, that, you know, depending on how dismantled the car was, you could have gotten those parts back depending on, you know, how far they went to get rid of the stuff. Maybe they didn't go that far. But I don't, you know, a lot of people discount this story on that alone. And yeah, it's kind of a far-fetched thing. But like I said, if they took, like, some fenders and, like, you know, a windshield and, like, you know, the carburetor, like, just took a couple of things so that it couldn't run and it couldn't be driven on the road, well, then you might be able to get those back pretty easily if you acted fast enough. The vandals would not go unpunished, however. As the story goes, several of them were decapitated in a freak accident with a semi-truck, and others may have been struck by lightning. After this, other churchgoers said it was Wendy who had cursed the car with her black magic and labeled her the Sea Witch of Old Orchard Beach. Eventually, the car was refrained to the bushes of the Allen's property, where it harmlessly sat for many years until finally being hauled off, this time in one piece, to a junkyard. Wendy Allen has mostly brushed off any comments about her and the infamous Golden Eagle. She still resides in Old Orchard Beach, writing dark fantasy, and even has a small collection of cars that she has decorated and takes to car shows. As far as I know, none of them are responsible for any deaths. And um, that's pretty much the story, the complete story of the Golden Eagle. Um, like I said, I don't know. I think there might be one of those stories where it was just, you know, maybe some small town rumor that, it, that got blown up out of proportion and stuff is just added to it over, over the years. And then the internet got a hold of it and... And now we have what we have. I will say, because some of it could be credible. Like, as, as as terrible as it is that it might be reasonable, you know, the, there were two children that died near it. Um, if you get on Google Maps and go to Old Orchard and find Old Orchard Beach, you will find her house very easily because she has some sort of uh, business. Like, she runs her own, like, you know... Uh, business from home, so it's she has it tagged on Google Maps as something, so you can find her house like like that, like really easily. And if you kind of go to Street View and check it out, it is on a windy, twisty road covered in trees. So 
I could see where someone might get into uh, quite a few accidents on that road with, you know, just visibility and not being able to see around the bends and stuff. So is it possible that it's really more of a just kind of a, uh, an unsafe road than it is a uh, brown, not gold, uh, dodge? But uh, yeah, make up the story what you will. Uh, I'll have some pictures in the show notes of it. Um, you know, there's a couple of you know fun YouTube videos on it that you can search and find out too. Didn't really use any of them for the show, but I know they're out there. And we're gonna take a tiny little break. I'm gonna go I think I grab grab another water, and we're gonna come back and we're gonna talk about uh, the death cars of Foss, Oklahoma. So, just like the uh, Hayward, San Leandro, California episode, we're going to go from a story that is fun, but probably untrue, to a story that definitely happened, that has names, that has dates, that has pictures, that has a lot of it. And we're going to talk about uh, Foss, Oklahoma, and what has been dubbed the Foss Death Cars, uh, which were a couple of cars that were found in a lake very close to each other, and the story that ensued after they were found. The small town of Foss, Oklahoma has a scant population of just 151 people. In its early beginnings, it wasn't called Foss. Settlers of the nearby Wilson moved north and settled in the area in the 1890s. They wanted to call the new town Graham, but found that name was already taken. Instead, they chose an anagram for Graham, uh, Maharg, which is just Graham backwards, actually. In 1902, a flash flood pretty much wiped out all of Mohard, so they settled on higher ground and dubbed the new town Foss. Foss is just a few miles south of Foss Lake State Park, home of Foss Lake or the Foss Reservoir. In 2013, two secrets would be drudged up from the silt of Foss Lake. Oklahoma Highway Patrol was at the lake in September of 2013 testing new sonar equipment. The test would turn out to be a success, but in a way that no one was suspecting. The equipment picked up an image of a 69 Chevy Camaro, but that wasn't all. Minutes later, a 1953 Chevy sedan was also seen. Inside the Camaro, the OHP officers found the remains of three people, Leah Johnson, Michael Rios, and Jimmy Williams. I believe it was, and it was Jimmy Williams' car. The three teenagers had gone missing from nearby Sayre on November 20th of 1970. Over the years, there have been many ideas as to what has happened to the three teenagers. Were they victims of a serial killer? Were they victims of drug smugglers? As there was, there was some drug activity happening, or starting to bubble up around the area at that time. Or were they kidnapped by a wandering band of hippies, in quotation marks, some have even said that they were taken away by a black helicopter that landed in Sayre one day. Uh, there's one news article, one of the police mentions that. I don't really understand where he's coming from, but that'd be, that'd be crazy, wouldn't it? The Oklahoma Highway Patrol said they did not suspect foul play and that there were bottles of liquor in the car. They surmised that alcohol was involved and that Jimmy, the driver of the Camaro, drove into the lake. However, Gary Williams, Jimmy's little brother, is not so sure. 
He believes that the car entered the lake backwards. Most of the damage to the car appears to be to the rear of the vehicle. And if you look at some of the pictures of it, you can see, yeah, like the back is like completely, it's almost torn off of it. It was discovered in the lake backwards with the car in neutral. Most of the windows were closed except the front passenger window, which had been rolled down about three or four inches, with no signs of anyone attempting to escape the Camaro. There's another odd tidbit about Jimmy's Camaro. In 2009, the OHP used sonar in another part of the lake on a tip that Jimmy Williams' car was in Foss Lake. That early tip uh, showed up nothing, and so the search was called off. Both of Jimmy's parents passed away in 1990, never knowing what happened to their son and his friends. The 1953 Chevy also had the remains of three people. They were John Porter, Cleburne Hammack, and Nora Duncan. They were reported missing in April of 1969, just a little over a year before the three in the Camaro went missing. Debbie Porter McManaman, John Porter's granddaughter, was the last person to see him alive as she got out of the car that day. He smiled and drove off, never to be seen again. Oddly, the driver's side door of the old Chevy was open, and this is very suspicious to me. When a car is submerged in water, there can be up to 600 pounds per square inch of pressure on the outside of the door. This makes opening a door underwater almost impossible. It's much easier to roll down or break a window to get out of a submerged car. What this means is that it's very likely that the car door was open before it went into the water. If this was the case, how come no one was able to escape? Was this just some odd accident coupled with a coincidence? Is it possible both of these cars missed the sign warning drivers about the boat ramp up ahead? Perhaps. But in the Camaro's case, the three teenagers were supposedly on their way to a football game at a neighboring town. So why were they at the lake at all? Why was the old Chevy's door open, but no one was able to get out? In the end, the bodies were recovered and six missing person cases were solved. But there seems to be a lot more questions that need answers. So... If you decide to head up to Foss Lake to do a little fishing or maybe some weekend camping, remember to mind the signs. And uh, that is, I mean, I guess both these stories stories have been pretty short and sweet, but I like both of them. That one's got a lot of just a lot to kind of dig into. I really wish someone would go down there and really investigate this because I don't know. It seems just a little weird to me for at least both of them being an accident like you know the Camaro maybe but really the 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 53 is to me it's just weird with that door being open it's really weird like if the door is open how come you know I'd also like to know like where they found the remains did they find someone in the driver's seat because think about it, like let's say there was a fourth person we don't know about like that was for some reason driving that 53 Chevy and then gets out and pushes it into the lake or whatever and then we just don't know who they are and you know maybe there's three unconscious bodies at the time so there's a lot there's a lot you can speculate about this case but I don't know if we'll ever know uh, no one's talking about it but yeah there's a lot there's a lot of weirdness that I think that surrounds it when you really start to read about it and really start to dig into it 
on the surface, it's like, oh, wow, they found, you know, these six people, which is great. And there was some closure there, but there's so much more that really needs to be looked into. But those are the Foss uh, death cars of Foss, Oklahoma. So, you know, I've got resources. I've got some pictures. You can really dig into that story. Read through all the articles I did if you want. But here we are in the middle of the show. So I'm going to play a little music. And we're going to come back. And we're going to talk about some local headlines after uh, this. So I'll be right back. Okay, we've got a couple few juicy news stories to get into for this episode. The first one comes to us from uh, CTV News up in Vancouver, Canada. Uh, The headline reads, James Bay Wolf located, tranquilized by conservation officers, police say. This is written by uh, Ian Holliday. Vancouver, after more than 24 hours on the loose in British Columbia's capital city, a lone wolf likely from a nearby island, has been located and tranquilized, according to police. Victoria Police first announced a confirmed wolf sighting in the city's James Bay neighborhood on their Twitter account Saturday afternoon, but said they had abandoned the search Sunday after more than 12 hours without spotting the beast. Then, late Sunday afternoon, the wolf was sighted again. Police said their officers and several others had seen the animal in James Bay. They said they are giving it room while monitoring it closely and advise the public to bring children and pets indoors as a precaution. In a follow-up tweet around 6.15 p.m., police said the animal had been tranquilized. 
the BC Conservation Officer Service tweeted Saturday night that it believed the wolf sighted in James Bay may have arrived from Discovery Island, where a lone wolf has lived since at least 2012. Conservation photographer Cheryl Alexander told CTV News Vancouver Island she believes the wolf currently on the run in the city of Victoria is likely the lone wolf, which is named Takea. The video clip looks very much like it could be the Discovery Island wolf, Alexander said. He has very specific markings. I like to see the front of his legs because he has a couple of stripes down there that are quite obvious. Alexander said the wolf may have decided to swim to Victoria in search of food or because he is looking for a mate. In 2016, the island off the coast of Oak Bay, which is a marine provincial park, was closed to the public on the recommendation of the BCCOS. The closure was implemented to give officials a chance to study the animal. The island reopened in 2017. Like bears, wolves can become habitated to humans, according to BC Parks. Victoria Police encouraged residents to consult the BC Parks Guide on Wolf Safety for information about how to deal with the animal if they encounter it. The guide recommends keeping a distance of more than 100 yards between human and wolf. If a wolf is acting aggressively or appears unafraid of humans, BC Park recommends raising your arms and waving them in the air to make yourself appear larger, as well as using noisemakers and throwing rocks, sticks, or sand at the wolf to scare it away. Anyone who encounters an aggressive animal, wild animal, is encouraged to call the Conservation Officer Service 24-hour reporting line at 877, and there's a phone number. Wild animal sightings are not uncommon on Vancouver Island, but wolf, cougar, and bear sightings are rare in the city of Victoria. In 2015, a juvenile cougar led police, police and conservation officers and media on a chase through the James Bay neighborhood. At the time, experts said the animal was likely looking for an area to establish a new territory after leaving his mother. Officials also blamed the cougar for killing and eating a deer in Oak Bay, calling for a call of deer in that area. Uh, haven't done one of these in a while. This next one comes from Coast to Coast AM from Tim Banal. Uh, headline reads, Watch Fisherman Film Legendary Monster in Argentina. Let me get the reader view up here. Right, A pair of fishermen in Argentina captured curious footage of what appears to be a sizable aquatic creature that some observers suspect could be a legendary lake monster known as Nuelito, according to a local media report. The intriguing sighting occurred last month at Newhill Hapu Lake as the two men were fishing at the picturesque site. They were stunned to see something strange emerge from the water. When one of the witnesses thought what he saw a flipper attached to anomaly, his friend quickly grabbed his cell phone and began filming the oddity. Unfortunately, their footage is not particularly fantastic and doesn't quite capture the weirdness of what the duo were watching. In the video, one of the observers can be heard marveling in Spanish. I don't know what it is, but it looks like something very big. It looked like it had scales. I went to see up to three flippers out before ultimately musing something is happening there. It's scary. The footage shot by the fishermen quickly went viral in Argentina as the location of their sighting happened to be the purported home of the country's version of the Loch Ness Monster, known as Nuelito. Stories of a monstrous creature said to lurk in the waters 
of Newell Hapwai Lake date back to at least 1910. As such, many residents believe that the new video provides a glimpse of the legendary beast. Others are, are not so sure and have argued that the oddity is merely a large wave or simply a normal fish. What's your take on the puzzling scene? And there is a video on here that you can watch. It's far away. It's a big wake. You do see some stuff popping out of the water. Seems a little bit bigger than a fish, though, but I guess it could be a sturgeon. I'm not sure if sturgeon are, you know, native to that area, but it could be. And uh, our last story is uh, from Realtor.com because it's one of them good old haunted houses for sale that I uh, like to dig up every once in a while. So Realtor.com, this is by Tiffany Sherman. Whispers Estate in Indiana for sale for 130000 which isn't bad. Ghost included, isn't bad for this house. A Victorian mansion dating to the late 1890s is for sale, but there's a catch. It may come with some permanent house guests. It's actually a gorgeous home. It's in really good shape for as old it is, says Heather Bland, the agent selling the home on Warren Street in Mitchell, Indiana. Known as Whisper's Estate, the home has a history of paranormal activity. The $130,000 list price includes the furniture and ghost. You know, this is sounding better all the time. I might have to figure out where Mitchell in the end is at. Uh, the 3,700-square-foot, 30, 30, four-bedroom, two-and-a-half-bathroom home features original wood floors throughout much of the home. According to the website created by the homeowner, the structure was once part home, part business, as was the case with many homes in the 1800s. A doctor had his practice downstairs, and over the years, some patients died, including children. A doctor himself died of pneumonia in the first-floor master bedroom. Several TV shows, publications, and paranormal groups have investigated the home. There have been numerous reports of a child scene running through the house, the smell of baby powder in one of the rooms, children singing or crying, doorknobs jiggling, and doors popping open. People who sleep in the room where the doctor died say they, they sometimes wake up to sounds of coughing and labor breathing. I have been in there twice and haven't felt anything so far, but you can read different things about it, and you might not feel anything or see anything for a long time. And then maybe you do, Bland says, adding that her boss felt and saw something paranormal when they were measuring the home. He had a look on his face, and I said, what? And he said, did you see that? And I said, no, Bland recalls. We were measuring, and I said, did you? And he said, yeah, and I was like, okay, let's get this measured, and then we can get out of here. The paranormal inhabitants don't seem to cause much trouble, Bland says. The owner said in his experience, if people are there and they're respectful and not trying to cause a ruckus or anything, uh, the alleged paranormal are nice. The current owner bought the home in 2007 after visiting it during a, during a paranormal convention. He is selling it now because he is engaged and moving to Indianapolis, about two hours north of Mitchell. As for tours of the place, we're doing a 24-hour notice before showing and a pre-approval because we want to weed people out. We don't want to just have people who say, "Let's go look at it; it'll be cool." We want people to do serious. We want people to be serious that are looking at it, and for whatever reason they want to buy it, that's their personal preference. Plan explains. The home sits on a quarter acre. There is a formal entry, a 10-foot ceilings, a living room, dining room, stone basement, and unfinished space on the third floor. The furnishings includes antique, antiques. Bland says that the perfect buyer is out there somewhere. It's going to take one of these two types of people. I think it's going to take somebody that loves this and appreciates the paranormal stuff, or somebody that wants it to be their home. It's a huge, gorgeous home for 130000 I mean, you couldn't build it for that. And she's true. Like, 
I didn't really like read read this article. I just kind of skimmed it, and now I'm sitting here kind of reading it and looking at the pictures. It is an awesome house, like gigantic. And then you get all of this, like you know, I might have to might have to move to Mitchell, Indiana. Like just everything is there. It's great. It looks nice. But uh, I'll post this on the show notes. So if someone's looking for a steal of a haunted house, uh, I may have found it for you. So check it out. That has been this episode's local headlines. Let's do a boom. Let's come back with uh, your small town secrets. All right. Both of these stories I nabbed from Reddit. Uh, The first one I really wanted to use. I was just kind of, you know, reading people's experiences. And this one was about uh, a car. A ghost car. I was like, well, that'll fit great with this episode. So I asked if they could, uh, or asked if I could use their story, and they said yes. And the other one is also from Reddit. Not about a ghost car, but still uh, had a nice coincidence. Nice synchronicity, if you will, with it. I'll explain when we get there. This first one is from uh, Radar Loveless. That's the OP's name. This is from Coatesville, Pennsylvania. And uh, this is what she wrote. This is truly something that a person has to experience for themselves before they can understand just how surreal it is. It's not easy to explain with words. It's quite difficult to describe, actually. And unless somebody's been there, they won't comprehend the gravity of the situation. Nor will they recognize any supernatural correlations. It can be very invalidating for an experiencer. I'm a 37-year-old female, and I live in Pennsylvania, born and raised. There is a vista on top of a nearby mountain that my friends and I have frequented since high school, and we've all experienced very strange things up there, which I suppose is why we kept going back. One night, only a few years ago, 2016 I believe, I was leaving the vista with a friend after witnessing several strange anomalies in the sky. We reached the bottom of the mountain, now traveling the long winding road that eventually cuts through a small village before connecting to the highway. It's a two-lane road with traffic traveling in opposite directions. It's a very dark drive, as there were no streetlights or light pollution until you reach the small village. You rarely see other vehicles traveling, as it's rather secluded and desolate. The only illumination present that night was a full moon, which I remember commenting on with my friend shortly before it happened. We were approaching a sharp curve in the road when suddenly a pair of very bright headlights appeared out of nowhere, traveling in my lane and flying straight at the car. I had zero time to react as the car was speeding like a bat out of hell, and the last thing I saw were those headlights, literally only inches away from the nose of my car. Before squeezing my eyes shut, tightening my grip on the steering wheel, and bracing for impact. But in that split second that followed, In that split second of what would have been one hell of a horrific head-on collision, there was silence. I opened my eyes just in time to see the tail end of the other car nearly grazing the side of my car, as if some unexplainable supernatural force had somehow shifted that car back into its lane. I know that it was supernatural, because even if the driver had tried to merge or swerve back into their lane at that moment, they wouldn't have had time to do so without hitting my car. We were immediately at some point of impact, and the car wasn't only halfway in my lane, it was 100% entirely in my lane. The brief silence lasted only seconds before my friend turned to me and said, What the fuck was that? What in the fuck just happened? 
with his hands grasping the oh shit handle on the ceiling above the passenger side door, still hanging on for dear life. I was speechless, still trying to process everything myself. I will never fully understand what happened that night. Was it related to what we witnessed beforehand while up at the Vista? I'll never know. I just know that we almost died and something either intervened to prevent that or the entire incident was meant to threaten or scare us. A glitch, maybe. I have no idea. Looking back, I find it especially strange that I didn't see any illumination from those headlights bouncing off the road or guardrails ahead of us before we rounded that corner. It was as if the car was speeding along the winding road with his headlights off, right up until the point we almost collided. Normally it's safer to drive twisty winding roads at nighttime because of the glow of headlights give forewarning of oncoming traffic around the bend, long before you see the other vehicle. But that was not the case this time, and I have no idea how we could have traveled without headlights on that route. It just seems impossible. It's a somewhat dangerous drive as it is. When I share this story with others, I don't think they understand just how close we came to death, or how surreal the experience was. It's easier for someone hearing this to write it off as a lucky near miss and assume that the stress of the adrenaline somehow distorted our perception of the event. But I tell you no, this was all very real and accurate. And I was not alone in this experience. I can recall every detail of that moment, as if it happened yesterday, and I remember that feeling of time slowing down in that moment as if everything happened in slow motion. There is also a strange state of shock that follows an experience like this, whereby truth sets in and the images are forever burnt in our minds. I didn't report the car to the police because I knew that they would never find it. The car would be long gone somewhere over the mountain by the time the police arrived and I was traveling so fast I couldn't identify a make or model. I only knew that it was a car, not a truck or SUV. More pressing, however, was that I couldn't be sure if it was a supernatural quality of the experience or due to a glitch in reality, an external influence of some sort, or that the car was a supernatural force itself. I have never experienced anything like it before, and I have experienced anything like it since. Have any of you? And yeah, that, that's actually a very well-written story, and it has a lot, of, a lot of good details with it, a lot of good kind of debunking and explanation of why they think happened, happened. And it was a story about a car, so I really wanted to include it in the show. Uh, so thanks for letting me use that. And the next one is uh, from uh, KY Witch, Kentucky Witch, 0828. And uh, I read this, and she didn't say where it where it was in Kentucky. And, and so I always try to get that information because it's a small town secret. I like to know what small town it comes from. And I asked, and as soon as I said that, I was like, let it be Somerset. And if anyone's watched, you know, Hell Your Season 2, you know Somerset plays a vital role. And, you know, as soon as I thought that, the person shot back in the chat on Reddit, Somerset. So it was Somerset. It is Somerset. What I'm saying is this uh, comes from Somerset, Kentucky. It's a haunted house story. Uh, this story is from a while back, before I moved to my current home. In 2016, my mom and I moved into a very old home. Over the few years we lived there, we had quite a few experiences, but the most notable for me personally was the incident of where I came face to face with a burned man upstairs. It was a weeknight, and I had school the next day. At around midnight, I went to bed, which was a bit early for me at the time. A few hours later, I woke up, drenched in sweat, and my fan was turned off. Annoyed, I rolled over to turn it back on, and I looked up at my door, noticing that it was open. 
The door opened a bit more, and a strange-looking nude man was standing before me. He seemed abnormally tall. I'd say at least six foot eight. His head was nearly touching the door frame, and his skin appeared off, similar to skin grafts that burn victims receive. It appeared visibly tacky and wasn't very pleasant to look at, but its face was even worse. The skin on its mouth seemed to have been drawn back, exposing the gums fully, and one eye seemed to be far too small and the other far too large. Whatever it was, it just stood in my doorway, looking at me. It smiled after it made eye contact with me. To this day, I can't tell you why I responded this way. I get grumpy when I first wake up, and this was no exception. I told this thing, fuck off, and rolled over, falling back asleep. After turning my fan back on, of course. That morning, my door was still open, but nothing was there. I went full paddock mode and refused to sleep up there for weeks after it finally sent in what I saw, which didn't help much. I have more stories from this house if anyone is interested. Some things to consider. This house was once a funeral home, which had a fire a long time ago. I'm not sure if anyone was hurt or killed in the fire or not. I always sleep with my door closed, and I remember closing that door that night. It was a bit finicky, however, as there was no lock, and due to the house shifting, if you stepped on certain floorboards, it would pop open. I would have noticed this, however. At no point did I feel threatened during this encounter, despite its strange appearance. I'm not a hard-ass by any means, and I have a respectful fear of the paranormal, out of the other experiences in the house. This was one time that I didn't feel scared creeped out by a paranormal event. I've never talked about it after the first time it happened, and nobody but my mom knew until now. My mom's friend and their little boy moved in. Despite nobody telling him about what I saw, he would wake up screaming in the dead of night about the tall man with the weird face. Does anyone know what this might have been? And I just liked it because it was just a great story about it, like a, a weird burned ghost of some sort. But thank you, Radar Loveless. Thank you, Kentucky Witch 8. I'm sorry, Kentucky Witch 0828. A uh, couple of great stories from Reddit. And that is going to put a wrap on uh, this Your Small Town Secret segment for this episode. And that will about do it for episode 3.03 of the show. Uh, remember, there are a lot of ways to get a hold of the show. If you have a small town secret you want to share, haunted house, uh, ghost car, uh, Bigfoot, UFO experience, uh, true crime story, anything like that, you can get it to me uh, via social media. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, at uh, STScast. I'm on Instagram at STScast.gram. You can use any of those. Oh, you could even use Byte, I guess, if you really wanted to, to get at me with the story. Uh, you can also go to STScast.com. Scroll down to the bottom of the main page. There's an email form there. You can fill out and send me your uh, stories that way. Also on the website is show notes, sources, pictures for this episode and every episode, as well as uh, links to uh, the PayPal donation button if you would like to throw some ducats to help the show move forward. Uh, there's also uh, a merch link for t-shirts and stickers and coffee mugs and tote bags whole bunch of great stuff that you can grab if you are so inclined uh, i haven't said this in a while but if you get a chance please go on uh, your podcatcher of choice rather it be itunes or stitcher or whatever it is and uh leave the show uh, 
a good five-star rating and uh, a review, if you would like. That always helps the show uh, bubble a little bit more towards the top so it can be seen more uh, by people. And tell a friend, you know, you know someone that would like the show, uh, let them know and get them to listen. So that'll do it for uh, this episode. Uh, Until next time, remember, every town has a secret. What is yours? Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.